Well, thanks for the, the warm welcome, and uh, you all look uh, no worse for the wear uh, for all of the changes that have come and have occurred. And I just want to uh, really just begin by uh, giving thanks to uh, Neil and Jeremy and Aaron and all of the team uh, that have, was able to pivot the whole event, you know, within like 24 hours and pull this off. I mean, that's an amazing thing. So. And also to Bevan, you know, the pastor of the church, to making this place available. And, uh, you know, and I just think, again, let's, that God is putting this together. And as we, Patricia and I were uh, coming out here and, and praying about this and thinking about this, we thought, well, none of this took God by surprise. You know, it wasn't like this was an accident and he was kind of then floating around Hume Lake trying to figure out, OK, what's plan B? I think, that, I think that the fact that he reordered the priorities, the location, and the setting, I think all is a part of his plan to communicate to us in a special way this week. And, um, and so I just pray that we would be very expectant, you know, in terms of listening to God this week. And then, you know, just, uh, um, you know, I appreciate the, the little bio, um, but I don't know that, it, you know, for me, it, it resonates here. Um, I'm not, a, I'm not a pastor, you know, I'm not a preacher. Um, I, but, I, but as I thought about this, I thought, you know, 50 years ago, I was sitting in these seats. And uh, now at the end, and now where I am in life, I'm thinking more about how do I finish the race strong rather than how do I launch out into my life. And uh, so as Patricia and I share this week, it's, it's really not from the standpoint probably of just um, classic preaching and things like that. I think it's gonna be more for us to share with you um, the battle and the journey to live a lifetime um, you know, in, in faith and in, and in the pursuit of God and in the pursuit of the things that he's called us to do in this world. So some of the stories and things that we'll share, you know, I mean, uh, you, you know, if you look at us, you know, you can almost envision, you know, people coming back from the battlefield. You know, they got blood on their face and they smell like smoke. And sometimes, you know, they'll say that these soldiers coming back from the front will have that thousand yard blank stare. We're not here coming to you with the thousand yard blank stare. We're coming here to share with you the incredible vision of what this glorious Lord of ours is doing in the world. It's not going to be easy as you step out from here and move out into the world and move out into the arenas that God is going to call you to. But, I, but, it's, but as hard as it is, you, you, will never, you will never, never, never experience something more amazing and blessed than, than to pursue Him in this world. And so we just want to share some of that. In my work, um, as I go around the country and interact with companies and leaders, it's a tough world. Um, there's no doubt that the, the world is stressed. You know, if you're running a business or any kind of organization or working in it, the pressures are enormous. And, um, and, and you know, you add in the pressures that will come upon a marriage and family and and. And you can't even imagine the other kinds of pressures that can come and, and, and hit you, you know, whether it's uh, illnesses or other catastrophes. And we've, we've had our share of all of those sorts of things. But what we want to share with you this week, I think, is just maybe some of our journey and some of the principles, some of the things that we've learned, 
And to, and to give you a little bit more of a perspective, maybe, into some of the things that you can step out into in this world. So in terms of, this is the phrase that I use with a lot of, um, of our companies, that it's the concept of a VUCA world. Have you ever heard of that concept of VUCA? Some of you have here. I uh, came across this, uh, this concept of VUCA probably in 2002 or 2003, right after 9-11, and I had a young intern working for me that was one of the first young officers to go to Afghanistan. And when he came back, he was talking about VUCA because what they were experiencing in combat there was unlike any kind of war that had been fought previously. And what it did was that it shook up everybody's thinking about what it meant to lead, what it meant to have a strategy, what it meant to plan. You know, how, how, how do you go about this? And, you know, the thing is that in the traditional world, if everything was very steady and stable, you could, you could plan things and you can organize things and you can anticipate what was going to happen. But what was happening was that the conventional ways of thinking and learning and moving out into the world were no longer adequate. And you, you just look at the news and they're, they're just an obituary of organizations and people that have run smack into VUCA and have crashed. And the fact is, though, is that the faster you go down the road and the, and the more uncertain these roads are, you can't have your eyes fixed on the hood ornament in front of the car. You've got to be able to look further down the road and have a picture of where you're going if you want to go somewhere. And we need to think differently. And I think that that's one of the things that, for those of us that are followers of Christ and have the scriptures as a framework for looking at the world and understanding what's going on in the world, that we can bring solutions, we can bring the answers of the Lord and the truth of the scriptures to the world. This is what this week's been like, hasn't it, guys? <laughs> and for a lot of organizations and a lot of people, it, you know, you step out into the world and it's like living in permanent whitewater. And so how do we, how do we as followers of Christ survive and thrive and bear fruit in that kind of a world? So what I want to share, first of all, this, I just kind of do this in three parts today, is one is just kind of share you, with you some of my perspective of what I see going on in the world that you all are getting ready to step into and what it's like. And I would, I would dare say that you're probably already experiencing many of these things uh, in your own way. And all I'm saying is it's going to get more. <laughs> it's going to become more of that. Then I want to share with you then, I think, that what, how does God respond in this world? You know, is God caught off guard? And is he, is, he, is he thrashing around in the white water? You know, or, is he, or does, he have a, does he have a perspective on what's going on and how does he respond to that? And then I think then that I would like to just conclude by just sharing some things in terms of what's the antidote for this. So let's just kind of unpack what's going on in the world a little bit and think about it. The VUCA uh, illustration came, came with this picture that Nate sent me. And this was this this image has been stuck with me for so long that it's really it's been a powerful one. And, and as I was thinking about this, I thought, I thought about this image as representing you. What had happened was that because of the asymmetrical way that the opponent was fighting in Afghanistan, that prior to this conflict, what would happen is that there would be like whole armies of people back at the Pentagon planning wars. 
it's kind of crazy to think that people would do that, you know, but they were doing that. And it was like, okay, if this happens, then let's pull out this folder, and that's, that's, that's the battle plan. You know, if this happens, that's what, and what was happening here was that what was happening was nothing that anybody had ever planned for. And so this is a picture of a young lieutenant, probably about 25, 26 years old, riding his horse out there with these tribesmen, going across the mountainside. And what's happening is that he is, he is be beginning to be the point, the tip of the spear. He's the one that's negotiating with tribal lords. He's the one that's kind of sending information back in terms of what's changing in the battlefield and how the fight is going. And what's happened is that the leadership of the military became very distributed. It couldn't happen at, at headquarters, you know, thousands of miles away uh, in Washington, D.C. That the leadership of the fight was at the point of the attack with these young lieutenants. And, and as I thought about this, I thought about us. Is that I think we're way past time when spiritual warfare and impact on our world is going to be guided by some master leaders putting together incredible organizations that are going to go out and make a difference in the world. What's going to make the difference in the world is you all, as the young lieutenants on horseback, as you're engaging you know, in, in, in the front that's around you and learning how to fight the good fight and learning how to engage with the people around you and how to share what's going on so that your comrades here, you know, the others of you here are becoming more and more effective in having that impact. And I think that what God's doing is that he's putting the leadership, he's saying that the leadership and the responsibility for changing the world doesn't reside with the few brilliant and omni-gifted people, but it's with us. Does that make sense? So let's, let's unpack this a little bit more. As these young lieutenants were going around in, 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 the, um, uh, in the VUCA environment, the V in VUCA stands for volatility. What we're facing now is that we're in a world where you're seeing wider swings, greater polarity, and you're seeing greater velocity of change. I mean, isn't it amazing how fast gas prices or the prices of eggs can change? <laughs> you know? Or think about, in terms of just the polarity, how it seems like we're more left and more right all of a sudden in the country. And, and so along any kind of axis, whether it's economic or political or social, we're seeing, we're seeing the greater polarity, greater swings, and it's happening faster and faster all the time. And, and so what, how do people, try to, how do people re try to respond to that? Well, one, they're feeling urgency all the time to, to act, react. You're just, and you're, put it, you're on your, your heels all the time trying to react to the world. The, the second thing is that you just begin to throw things at the world. <laughs> you know, you're offering this solution, that solution, that idea, that product, that service, and none of those things really, really connect and help you deal with the issues. And then so there's always a sense that you're always chasing, always chasing, and you're always a little bit late. Now, let me just ask you, what happens then when you do that? Well, the very actions begin to increase volatility. When I was in college, I went down, um, and this was before kind of there were probably enough safety requirements and things in the construction industry, but I had a summer job building homes. Um, down in Houston. I had no background in it, but it was a job. 
And, and uh, they went through a lot of young people as uh, helpers, you know, as carpenters' helpers. And I kind of stuck around mainly because I, I did show up to work, and I wasn't afraid to do what they did. And so one day they put me up on, we were, we were framing a house, and they put me up on the top of the frame. The, the, the cross beams hadn't been put in yet. And so as I'm walking across this, and again, I said I wasn't afraid, so I'm walking across the two-by-fours at the top here, and all of a sudden, the whole wall started going like this. And the more I tried to react to the wall and try to adjust, what would happen? <laughs> it got even worse, right? And Because everything I was doing was increasing the volatility of the situation. And, um, you know, I mean, I came out okay, because it had been really raining hard in Houston, and there was just this big mud puddle next to me, so I just jumped off and landed in the mud puddle and uh, escaped serious injury. But this is the way a lot of people live, isn't it? That they're always reacting, and every time they're responding to what's going on in the world, it, it just seems to get worse. And so you, you're, you feel spread thin over too many things, and you, and you feel very vulnerable and helpless and always at risk. So when you think about those things, do you all experience that? Do you all feel that a little bit in terms of your world? It's crazy, isn't it? And all I'm saying is that as you step out from the, you know, the campus and, and get into the working world and get into the business world, you're going to see this, ex, this is going to exponentially go up. And the organizations that you're going to go to, that you're going to, you're going to hire on with in order to have a stable life and an income and everything, you're going to be walking right into companies that are going to be experiencing these things and being whiplashed every day. So the, the U is uncertainty. What we mean by uncertainty is that the world is becoming more and more unpredictable, isn't it? You, you know, it, there's just so much that's unknown. In spite of the fact that we have vast amounts of information at our fingertips, it's kind of like we still don't know anything. That's really important, and that, that could really help us. And, 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 you know, and so you're always asking yourself, what is it that we really know? That's a key question that I ask leaders all the time. What is it that you really know about the situation that you're getting into? And the past is no longer just a, a nice, neat indicator of the future. And there's always this kind of fog of war, this uncertainty as you're working along. And, and then you have the whole concept of black swan events. You guys are probably familiar with that, right? You know? Well, a black swan event basically <clears throat> is an event that happens that though there's always the chance that it could happen, that the probability and the likelihood of it happening never occurred to anybody. And so when you see something like what happened with COVID, that was probably considered a black swan event. You know, I mean, maybe we should have been seeing something like this happen, but, but what's happening in our world is that these kinds of unpredictable, out of left field sort of events are happening more and more. And, 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 throw, and, and creating greater and greater uncertainty. And so what's, how, do we people, how do people typically respond to a world of uncertainty? Well, up here, you know what I'm saying? That they speak with more certainty when you're, in fact, more uncertain. I mean, when you hear people, you, you're on social media, you're listening to the news, doesn't everybody talk with absolute certainty about what they're saying? But we can't. 
you know, and, and, and we're always just trying to sell our ideas, sell something, do something, you know, in order to feel like we're, we, we have some predictability in terms of our lives, and we become increasingly short-term in terms of the way we think, because we feel like we, at least we can see what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, we don't even dare look further down the road. And, and, and where, where I see this problem in my world of leadership is that in uncertainty, one of the most uncertain things is how people behave. And so what I feel, what I see is organizations, markets, you know, um, leaders look at people now, not as people, but just as problems that have to be managed and solved. And I'm thinking, you know, how, how dehumanizing, you know, and how low that view of mankind is when you look at it that way. And the result here, then, is that <clears throat> we're going to be feeling increasingly manipulated, aren't we? And you're going to feel increasingly distrustful when people come to you with certain solutions, you know, and a voice of certainty. And, or you're going to just try, do the other thing. You're going to just try to deal with it all by just ignoring it, <laughs> you know. But the stress remains, right? But the stress remains. And so are you feeling uncertainty? Are you experiencing uncertainty in your world? When you wake up in the morning and look out and think, what am I going to do today? Where am I going to go? Are you feeling uncertainty? You bet. The third one is complexity. Complexity is different than complicated. Complicated means there are simple solutions, but if you stack up the simple solutions like Lego blocks, you can solve a complicated problem. Complexity, though, is a situation in which the very interrelationships of our world cascade, you know, connect. There's a saying in the systems thinking world that a butterfly can flap its wings in Malaysia and cause a tornado in Oklahoma because the world is interconnected, you know. And, and you see that, right? You see that in economics. You see that in other, other arenas like this. And, and, and so what happens is that we're, we're, sometimes we are experiencing the consequences of something that's happened two and three orders away from us. And then, and then all of a sudden, this tidal wave hits us. And, and because, of the, because of the complexity of the world, there's complete, competing demands on us. And there just seems to be more chaos and more wild cards and black swans. So how do people try to respond to complexity? Well, we're confused, and so what happens is that sometimes we'll just grab at anything that seems to make sense. And you, you see that again, you know, with pundits and commentators and other people, that they, just, they will say something that basically says, we're, we're going to offer you really a simplicity here that, and clarity that you, you're not going to, you know, that's, that's not deserved in terms of what they're saying. And we can either become either overly complicated ourselves, or we can just become overly simple in terms of what we're doing. And then you see, again, we're more, more the same here. And so how, do, how does it make people feel when you're living in such a complicated, complex world? Well, you're going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to resort at doing things that just, you know, that are easy and make me feel good. Um, but it may not do anything to really help. And then there's just kind of the illusion of problem solving that happens all the time. So do you feel, do you feel that the world is more complex? 
As you, as you study and think about the world and interact with the world, are you sensing and grasping the complexity of the world that we're living in? You bet. Then the last one is ambiguity. What's happening in ambiguity is that we begin to feel a loss of meaning. There's a confusion of meaning. There's double meanings in the world. And there's just a lack of clarity because I think that when you think about a lot of the big problems that the world faces, a lot of times there's not a clear-cut right or wrong. You know, it, It's a choice between two, op, two alternatives sometimes in terms of big-scale big problems that have pluses and minuses in the solution. And they're not, and and then they they end up becoming really wicked problems, you know, where it's where whatever you do has a serious downside, and and so you know you you think what do we do? What do we do? And you just realize that we just can't solve these kinds of problems. And I think then what happens to people is then there's a whole bunch of things here, and you don't you know we won't go through them all. But I think that one of the things that happens is that we just begin to fail to deal with the tensions that are there. And we, we basically become, we can become rigid and hierarchical and dogmatic rather than really understanding really the full nature of the problems that we have. So we see this a lot today, don't we? Whereas a result of this, everybody's trying to reduce things to a certain position or a dogma. You know, they're trying to just stand firm in a position and don't even want to dialogue or engage in learning and really think about the other aspects of an issue that's going on. And it's a leading cause of conflict because things become diagnosed really from only a single point of view. So, you know, are you experiencing this? <laughs> Do you kind of look at the world and kind of think, there's some big problems out there, <laughs> you know? And I think... In general, it, it ends up where we're living in a world where, in terms of leaders and people, there's just a loss of sense-making. We just can't make sense of it. And so we can just kind of reduce ourselves back down into little places and try to ignore it. Or we really get wiped out by just the stress and the challenge and the fatigue of dealing with all these things. And some people have been telling me, well, this, these are just cycles. Things are going to go back. But I don't believe that anymore. I just feel like these are not cycles anymore, but what we're seeing in the world are seismic shifts. And that the, the very structure and the, the, the operation of the world is beginning to change. And we're, we're moving from order to disorder, and in many cases, just chaos. So the question is, what do you do? Right? That's, 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 that's what we're going to wrestle with here now. And I, think, I would say here, you're not going to hear from me any, anything unusual <laughs> except a reminder of some of the things that you've already been taught. But I want to just underline and drive home the importance of some of these things. And so when you think about the VUCA world, let's begin with the scriptures. You know, and when you look at the scriptures, and turn with me to Matthew 24 for a second here. You got your Bibles there? Matthew 
And Jesus is saying here in 24, 4 through 14, he answered him, and he says, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. And see that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And do you kind of see VUCA in here? The volatility? I mean, if, you're, if you don't have this perspective, it'll, all of this stuff will feel very uncertain, complicated, surprising, right? And let's look over here at 2 Timothy then. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but, de but denying its power. Avoid such people. And again, you can see here, you know, that <clears throat> what we're experiencing today, you know, that it, it, it's the seeds of that have always been there. And, and the scriptures, both in Matthew and, and, and Timothy here, uh, 2 Timothy here, we're being, we're being given a picture of what's going to come. And now we're beginning to live in the reality of these things across our world, not just in local or regional sense, but in a global sense. So, and then you can finally get here to Revelation, in chapter 1 there, and it's going to get there. And John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are, who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from his, our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, am. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We also see here how it's going to end, too, right? The resolution of this. So 
when you think about God in these kinds of times, what does God do? And, you know, what's interesting about the scriptures is that whenever we look at the great people of faith, the great, you know, the, the examples of faith that, that God used, the men and women of the scriptures, they weren't raised up in a time where the nation was going really well. You know, the economy was going well, families were good, society was good, you know, people were good, everything was going well. These people were all raised up in times of trial, in times of darkness, in, in, in times where they were difficult days. And, you know, you think about Noah, and he was the last man standing, wasn't he? Because, you know, the, the, in Genesis it says that the whole earth was just filled with this wickedness. But God saw Noah, and God used Noah really to save the human race. You think about Abraham living in a rather obscure town in Ur of the Chaldees, and God calls him out. And uh, Patricia's going to talk more about this tomorrow in terms of his journey and how God developed him in this. But one of the things that God did was he came to, to Abraham and he picked this man out and said, okay, this is a pivotal point here in the scriptures because I think that from this point on, I'm going to use this man to be a blessing to the world and really to begin the lineage from which Christ will come. You think about Moses, right? Plucked out, hidden away, brought back, you know, to really a challenging time. David, David, interestingly enough, in, in Israel at that point in time, they had just finished the, the time of the judges. And do, do you remember what it says right at the end of the book of Judges? What, what did it say? Do you remember? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Say, right, there was no king, and the, the nation had fallen so far that basically it was just chaos. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And, and so the people cried out for a king, and God initially gave them Saul, who really was really kind of um, the person that you would pick by popular opinion. <laughs> you know, he's good-looking, tall, you know, the whole... Whole, whole appearance of thing, but he was a half-hearted man. And then he picks out David, and here, here is the runt of the litter, the, the littlest child, right, that nobody, nobody even thinks that, oh, yeah, David should come here. It, you know, Samuel has to ask, is there anybody else in the family that we need to talk to? He says, oh, yeah, there's the little guy. He's back out there tending the sheep. Let's call him in, you know, and God, and God said, that's the guy. That's the guy. And then you can go on with Esther, right? And it's not just people of prominence like that, because, like Deborah, but you have people like Ruth and others in the scriptures that had maybe more modest stations in life, and yet they were vital to God's, to God's program. And, and you know, all of, not all of us in, in this room are going to be, say, people of great stature, you know, in, in the world's eyes or in a positional sense. But we can, have, we can have that critical contribution and role in God's kingdom that God's called you to do. So what I'm going to say here is that whenever God wants to begin to change the world, he starts with one. And, 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 you know, and in John, Jesus says, you didn't choose me. 
But I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. These, these two things are really important for us to understand here today, okay? In these dark and chaotic times filled with VUCA, God's chosen you. We're not in this room by accident whatsoever. And, and it's not like God's chosen you and said, okay, let's, you go figure out what you need to do. When God chooses you, he also has a plan in mind for you because he created you for a specific purpose and a specific reason that you need to grasp. And like for Esther, it's for such a time as this. One of my concerns is I kind of go and talk to people around the country, and these are, you know, these could be your parents, you know. They could be, you know, they could be the people that you'll be working with soon. They could be, a, you know, but I think that if they're people of faith, a lot of times they're really focused on how do we survive? You know, how do we get by? You know, how do we live a comfortable life? You know, or whatever it is. It, it, you know, how do we just deal with the stresses of our family, of our work, and our, our, our community? And, and so there's a focus on just trying to survive and trying to make do and, and trying to get ahead in a comfortable way. And yet you look at this verse here from Esther in terms of a, such a time as this, you all have to understand that all of us in this room are not here on this earth at this very time in history by accident. God has chosen each of us in this room to be here today in this world at this time. And we have to shift our thinking from how do I deal with that? How do I, you know, how do I you know, not get involved in that? How do I kind of survive this? How do I just kind of have a good life out of this? God has put each of us here in this room on the earth at this specific time to make a difference in the world. Every one of you. You're not here by accident. You've been chosen by God to be here. And then this is a remarkable thing. In Genesis 12, he had given Abraham the initial promise and the initial command to leave Ur, and he said, I'm going to give you this land. But he comes back in Genesis 17, and he expands on that, and he adds in my mind what I feel like is really the essence of the promise that he says. And to my, in my mind, it's not like the promises about the land and the generations to come, even though that's a promise. I think that the heart of the promise is that he said, Abraham, I'm going to be God to you. Now, you know, when somebody says, hey, I'm, you know, unless you're an orphan and somebody says, I'm going to be your father, I'm going to be your mother, or I'm going to be your husband, or I'm going to be your wife, or I'm going to be a friend that will never leave you or forsake you, you know, when somebody says, I'm going to be this to you, there's a certain meaning to it, isn't there? And you begin to understand who that person is in respect to you. 
I don't think that we grasp the fact that God is speaking to each of us tonight one at a time and saying, I want to be God to you. Everybody else around here probably has other gods. And there's a difference between having gods <laughs> and having God as your God, right? And I hope that tonight, you know, might be a little cloudy tonight so that you can't exactly look up at the stars probably. But just think about that, is that when you go out by yourself and you look into the heavens and you think about that and that you'll hear God's voice saying, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you to do works that I've created specifically for you to do at this very moment in time in history, but you're not going to do it alone. I'm going to be God to you. That's, that phrase is really a hard one, I think, to wrap our hearts around. We want to know things about God, you know, but imagine just you hearing God speak to you individually and say, I want to be God to you. Is he, is he God to you in terms of the way you're living right now, in the way you're interacting and waking up every day and moving into the world? That's a stunning thought, isn't it? Now, how are we feeling on this world? Well, obviously, we're going to feel like we're sojourners, we're strangers, we're aliens, we're exiles. And, and really, I, I, I feel that more and more. You know, you, 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 watch, you watch the news of people that are refugees and, you know, they've been cast out of their country or they're escaping something or they've been forced out of their nation and they're exiles. And it's interesting that when you read the prophets, so much of the prophetic literature is to Israel and the people of God who are in exile. And our, our world has shifted so fast, especially in this country, that I think you could almost make the case now that we're living in hostile territory as exiles. And, and so that as you read through the Old Testament and as you read the New Testament, pay, pay attention to the passages on what it means to live a life of an exile. So let me just pause here and come back to this again. Do you grasp this? Do you grasp that God has chosen you? for this point in time, and he wants to be your God. Let's just pause here, and maybe just in groups of twos and threes, let's just ask, just ask God to help us all understand and really understand deeply and clearly at an individual level that he's chosen us and that he wants to be our God. And, and to believe that he... He has a plan. He's got something he wants us to do. And then we'll unpack a little bit more here, okay? But let's just take a moment here, and just in groups of twos and threes, let's just pray on this, okay? Father, thank you that you've chosen us, and um, that you, you've, you're telling us, you're making an incredible offer that you're going to be God to us. And so, Father, I just pray that those truths would uh, grip our hearts, and um, so, Lord, uh, thank you very much for speaking to us. In Christ's name, amen.
I want to kind of then kind of wrap up here by sharing with you an outline for an antidote to VUCA. And these are going to be themes that we'll be talking about um, in the rest of the times here. The first one really is vision. And vision is really the antidote. And I think that there are, there are three aspects of the vision here. One is a vision of the Lord. Isaiah 6, you know, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, you know, high and lifted up. And I just pray that, you know, I think that as, as we go on here this week and then as you keep going, is that God would give you a clearer and clearer vision of who he is. There's so much that we believe about God, I think, is just a caricature. When really, if we get into the scriptures and really meditate on the scriptures, the God that is revealed is the kind of stunning God that when Isaiah saw him, he makes him fall on his face. The second was a vision for how God sees the world in John 4.35. says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white unto harvest. I don't believe that I see that kind of belief anymore in, in a lot of the places that I go. There's, there, people are saying, it's tough, the soil is tough, people aren't responding. But do you feel like when Jesus said that, he was only talking about his immediate situation? Or does he say, or is he, or is, when he says that, that the fields are white under harvest, that it's a message for us too? Do we believe that when we go out into your campuses and your, you know, your communities and your places of work, that the fields are white under harvest? I, I'm, Patricia and I are just stunned by that. And, and it's, but I think we've got to be able to see that. Um, earlier today, uh, we landed uh, early afternoon uh, here at John Wayne Airport. And uh, we had lived out here in this area uh, a number of years back and, and had ministered out here. And so, you know, one of our favorite places w uh, to go to was down in Laguna Beach. So we just thought, well, we'll go down there, maybe get a bite to eat. And uh, it didn't take me long for my blood pressure to go up because I thought, man, what's that? where did all these cars come from? You know, and the traffic going, going down there. And so we finally found this parking spot for an outrageous price. And so I've got a bad attitude already, right? And Patricia says, let's go walk on the beach. Let's go look at some shops and things like this. And I'm, you know, and I'm just kind of this grump following her around. And then we see this gallery. And she says, oh, I know this gallery. And I get, I get emails from them. And she's an interior designer. So she's got sources, right? So we walk into this gallery. And... Um, we're looking around, the artist is there, the guy that owns the gallery, and his wife are there, and their dog. And uh, we're looking around, and we're explaining where we're from, and she's saying, have we been here before? I've been here before, but I wanted my husband to see your work, because we might like to purchase some. And then they said, are you here for vacation? We said, no, we're not. We're really, we're going to be speaking to a group of college students. And they said, well, what about? He says, well, we're, we're going to be talking about the role of faith, you know, and God in, 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 in the lives of young people. And it was like the floodgates just opened with this couple as they began to say, wow, you know, that might be something that my kids, you know, <laughs> need to hear because they're really turned off against this. And we've struggled with that in our family. And it, this went on. We, we were there a long time, weren't we? 
And we walked out, and I'm looking at each other, and she's looking at me, and I'm, we're both thinking the same thing. God wanted us to come to Laguna Beach to talk to this couple. And there was an openness there. A couple months back, I was in Columbus, Ohio, and I was trying to help a, a very distressed company. And um, I was there the first day. Then that night, <clears throat> um, God said, in the morning, when Aaron comes to pick you up, uh, when you get to the office, pray for him. So I said, okay. So he picks me up. We drive to the office. We're talking all along the way. We pull into the parking lot of his, of his company. And I said, Aaron, I'd like to pray for you before we go in. He just kind of looked at me. And so I'm sitting there in the cab of his truck and praying. And when I finish, just tears are streaming down his face. He's saying, you can't believe how hard this last month has been. And what it did in terms of opening up now a conversation about the Lord with him was just was there. Uh, a few months before that, I was trying to get home. And um, I um, had a diversion on my flight that took me to Houston. It's not very direct from East Coast to Houston to Colorado. And then by the time I got to Houston, every, all my other flights would cancel. So I'm stranded in Houston in the middle of the night. And again, you know, I didn't have a good attitude about that either. You know? And so I find, I find some really bad hotel. I get in there late, get up in the morning. Okay, I call an Uber. Guy pulls up. I get in the car, 30 seconds later, I'm thinking, okay, I know why I'm in Houston. <laughs> and, and, and I began to ask some questions, and it's like the whole, his whole life opened up to the Lord. We got to the airport, you know, he, he turned off the meter, so to speak, and we just sat there at the curb in front of the, the, the back, I mean, the, the ticket area, until the policeman came along and said, you guys can't stay here any longer. But it was kind of like, there was an opening there. And I can't tell you how that's been happening almost every day, everywhere. And so I think that one of the things that has to happen is that we have to have a vision that the fields are white and the harvest. And that we have to be ready and present in this. And so that's why I say a vision for what God is doing in the moment in Luke 13, 12, when Jesus saw her, and this was a woman with a, a lifelong disability, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And what I mean by that is that he was, he was in a synagogue setting, he was doing other things, but he noticed this person, right? And for us to be so present with the Lord that we notice in these kind of unpredictable times and encounters with people, that God says, you gotta talk to this person, you gotta go... I need to get you down here to Laguna Beach to talk to this gallery owner and his wife. You know, I've got to now get you over here to Houston to talk to this Uber driver. And you're going you're gonna to have opportunities like that. If, if we begin with the vision of the Lord, with a conviction and a vision that the fields are white in the harvest, and then we live with the vision of looking every day into the situations that we have around us, I think we'll be amazed at the opportunities that are there. And I think what it'll do is that it'll renew your own sense of purpose in this uncertain time. It, it will give you a sense of stability. It'll give you a sense of alertness and resilience. And so rather than feeling like you're being buffeted by all the VUCA forces, this vision will give you this ability 
to kind of ride those waves, you know, and, and to see what's going on. Understanding is the second piece of this. And what, I mean, what do I mean by understanding? Well, one is in Jeremiah 9.24, is understand and know God. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. We have a vision of what God is like, but then to begin to understand how God works and what God wants and to understand you know, what God desires of us is going to be key. In Daniel 11.32, and he says, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And God wants to activate us. He wants us to take action in our world. And then we have to understand the times. First Chronicles 12.32 of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And, and, and so I think that as we're thinking about the scriptures and we're thinking about what God, God's program is for our world, we're going to have an understanding of the times and we're going to begin to understand what to do. Then, and then what's going, to do, what's going to happen there is that we're going to have greater understanding and faith. We're going to have greater discernment. We're going to have greater insight. We're going to have the ability to take action because we have a kingdom orientation and perspective. C is for clarity. And what I mean by clarity, in 2 Corinthians 1.12, Paul says, We behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely toward you. And then in 11.3, he said, But I'm afraid that as a servant deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And what I mean by clarity, really, is this simplicity of focus in our lives in terms of our devotion to Christ and, and what we're supposed to be doing. And so what will happen is that it, when you have that, you're going to have more clear priorities for our, your lives. For, you're gonna, your behavior is going to be aligned around with an intent toward serving God and, and, and accomplishing His purposes. You're going to be a lot more focused and alert. Is it easy to get distracted? <laughs> you bet. That's why we've got to come back to this. We've got to keep coming back to the simplicity and purity, devotion to Christ in this complicated world. The clarity there is something that we have to hold on to. And then the last is agility. <clears throat> Neil, I think we saw some of that with your team this week. <laughs> but what I mean by that is Agility means, really, one is a responsiveness to God's leading. In Isaiah 30, 21, he says, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. You know, as, as, we're, as we're understanding God and we're focused on Him clearly and simply, what's going to happen is that we're going to have this ability for God to be able to speak into our ear and say, I want you to turn right here. I want you to go right there. I want you to speak to this person. I want you to serve this person. I want you to go over there and encourage that person, whatever it is. The second part is that you're going to be prepared and ready. 2 Timothy 2.21. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. 
And then you're not surprised by trials and tests. 1 Peter 4.12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Agility means then that you're going to be prepared. You're going to be listening to God. As you hit obstacles, as you hit challenges, as you hit trials, you're not going to be surprised. And you're going to be able to endure and you're going to be able to move forward as you grow. And I think, again, you're going to be able to seize the opportunities. You're going to have, have this ability for God to redirect you. I mean, how many of us really know right now in our hearts that God is trying to direct us and we're resisting? Right? So these are, these are some of the pieces here. And so I think, again, coming back to this last image here that I started earlier on, Vision, understanding, clarity, agility. You become like this soldier here who's able to represent, in a sense, the kingdom and the interests of the kingdom from, from the place that he is with what he has to work with. And what God wants to be able to do is use you and place you anywhere in the world, in any kind of circumstance, in any kind of situation, and know that because he's with you and he's yours, you know, he's your God, that he can accomplish what he wants through you. Ready to learn some more this week on these things? Let me just let me just pause here because um, any questions, you know, any thoughts? Okay, what I'd like to do then is just uh, if if you'll just again turn to in groups of three here, and just quickly share with one another. Just take a few seconds each to share with one another one thing that God spoke to you about tonight. Okay. And then once you've shared that, then pray for each other that God would really embed that into your lives, okay? Let's pray. Let's share and pray. Father, thank you again for this evening, and I just pray that um, this week, as it unfolds, Lord, that you would um, help us all to grow in our vision of who you are and how you see the world and how you can use us to grow in our understanding of you and your ways, your understanding uh, and our understanding of the times. Lord, for us to be more committed to the simplicity and purity of devotion to you. Our, our, our world is, we're just so fogged with so many things that we don't see and keep you clearly and simply in focus in our lives. And that you would also then make us agile in the sense of that we're ready and available to you to direct our lives uh, in any way you want, Lord, to use us. So, Father, we just thank you, and I just thank you for all of these people here tonight, all of these hearts, and I just see, Lord, the potential of what the world could see of you through their lives. And I just pray that this week would be a launch point for every one of these folks. In Jesus' name, amen.